Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 252. I'm your host, Blaine Putney, and I'm joined now by my co-host, Treg Wilson. Hello. So it's been a, a long, long week in between shows with all of us. Uh, we had the, the interview with uh, Jake Furlong last weekend. I think that went pretty well. It was a short show. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, and it's all about this past weekend. It's a very uh, up and down weekend. Uh, I guess I'll just start with a little. Kerry uh, Price is not with the team right now. He's not injured or anything. They're just giving him a break away from the team. He's scheduled to play the last game of the season, so he's just not going to travel. I read on Twitter that some people are saying it's because he's not vaccinated, which is totally untrue, uh, because he couldn't play in Montreal if he was unvaccinated. So, uh, and he went to New York to get surgery or checks on his knee and he's traveled back and forth to the United States many times. So plus he played in Columbus. So anyway, um, <laughs> sorry so, to burst the bubble on sorry, that. One. Sorry to burst the bubble on that rumor, but uh, he is vaccinated. So is his wife. And yeah. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, ending that I'll, go, I'll start with that. And then we'll, we'll get into our other stuff that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, and before we get into the hockey, I just wanted to pass on my condolences to a former shipmates family. Uh, Mike Coggins passed away over the weekend uh, quite suddenly and unexpectedly. Um, he was a huge flyers fan, which, you know, it was, yeah, it, uh, it was something it was that a, we like to pick on each a other. Steelers fan. So. Yes, he was. Yeah, <laughs> so it was all about it was all about Philly and Pittsburgh. For some, I don't know how that worked. I don't but, know. Uh, he, did. he taught me uh, Ramsey's, uh, so yeah. that's how where I learned Ramsey's from him. Then he went on to work for Lockheed Martin. He was with yeah. them for nine years. Yeah, I uh, tried to recruit me to Lockheed Martin, but I didn't go. Uh, maybe I should have. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a sad day. I knew Mike Cog as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was a he was a fun guy. He was uh, always seemed to be in a good mood. Loved his children. Uh, was very proud of his, his son and his daughter. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, he'll be missed. It was a, it was a shock when I heard about it today. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was quite taken aback. 
So, so he's, he was only 54, I think, 54 years old. 53, 54, yeah. He was born in 68, I think. So, yeah, he wasn't much older than us. Nope. Although he was older than us, and I made sure to pick on him for it. <laughs> I just picked on the fact he was a Phillies fan. Well, there's so, that too. Uh, uh, you know, I kept telling them, whenever you guys get a goaltender, maybe you'll do okay. Because um, <laughs> they never had one since Ron no. Hextall. No. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you think of something like that and you start to think of your own mortality and you think, uh, hey, you know, uh, especially you and me, Blaine, I know Matt's a young whippersnapper, but uh, yeah. you and I are pushing that half century mark and uh you know, you start thinking about it. And I mean, I guess that leads into something we're going to talk about today. And that's uh, the Canadians legend, Le Demon Blanc, Guy Lafleur. The flower. The flower, who uh, at 70 years of age, whose birthday is the day before mine, by the way, September 20th. Um, he passed away after battling many issues. Um, and he's been fighting cancer for about five, six years. And then he had his heart surgery. And, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's two big NHL superstars we lost in a matter of what, two weeks? Mike Exactly Bossy, one week apart. Exactly one week. Mike Bossy and now Guy Lafleur. He joins the Holy Trinity of Jean Balaveau and uh, Maurice Richard and uh, the form in the sky, I guess we could say. Um, and uh, he's uh, he's going to be lying in state on the 1st and 2nd of May at the Bell Centre. Fans can swing by and pay their respects to him. And his family was kind enough to allow Quebec to give him a state funeral on the 3rd. Uh, that's a big deal. I mean, you're talking about they're saying goodbye to their father, their friend, uncle, you know, it's it's usually a very private affair, but they're allowing everyone to join in with them in their grief. Well, he meant, so, he meant so much to the, to the, to the province, uh, to the Habs fans. Uh, I wrote an article recently for the hockey writers on what he actually meant to me. He was more, I mean, I was a bit young when he played. I never really got into hockey to 86 and I was a WA fan. By then, Will Fleur had already retired. Uh, retired the first time. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but my grandfather was a huge fan of Lafleur. He was, uh, and he used to tell me stories about it. And, you know, if I was there in the winter, he'd have the hockey game on on Saturdays when CBC actually showed Montreal Canadiens games. Um, but only from the second period on. Uh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Um, Danny Gallivan was, uh, well, actually, probably in the 80s, it was more Dick Irvin and Harry Neal, but, uh, I'm aging myself here with these uh, broadcasters. And then Bob Cole came into the picture. Um, but, you know, it gave me, uh, I was close, got me closer to my grandfather and stuff like that. The stories I heard about him. And then uh, you just, he was always talked about on this legend status, like this, there's hockey players. And then there's Guy Lafleur, Maurice yeah. Richard, Jean Beliveau, Mike Bossy, you know, all these players who are way up here, not even for Montreal, but I mean, it does seem like Montreal has a lot more of those iconic players than some of the other teams. Yeah. Montreal has been blessed with a lot of great hockey players. And now with Lafta getting his state funeral, this is now four former Montreal Canadians that get a state funeral. You look at the, uh, the, the, 
the statues in front of the Bell Center, Howie Morenz, Maurice Huchard, uh, Jean Béliveau, and now Guy Lafleur, all four have been given a stage funeral. They're, those four players are head and shoulders above the other legends in the Canadians. Like there's, there's a special ring just for them. Yeah, and and it's a special ring that's deserved, especially yeah. Montreal is uh, rich in uh, French culture, and whether you like it or not, and that'll be a debate that will go on forever. Uh, these guys just didn't play hockey, but they brought a whole culture together uh, and encouraged them to become hockey players, encouraged them to become, you know, and I think that's why they're treated like gods i'd say well no i mean gods is probably a strong word but um like sergio mameso i was driving home uh saturday night from a uh a seminar i was at moncton for for bodybuilding and i was listening to the game on uh satellite radio and uh, sergio mameso telling a story about even after lafleur was playing used to play the little alumni games he would pick up sergio mameso and he would be people's neighbors would be like is that gay lafleur picking you up he was like, yeah, Guy Lafleur chauffeuring you. He goes, that's just the way Guy was. Like, he didn't yep. look at himself as any better than anyone else. He was like, hey, Sergio, you need a ride? I'll give you a ride. Like, you know, it wasn't. Uh, and uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him one time in uh, Penhorn Mall. He was signing <laughs> autographs outside the old Sobeys. I don't know if you're from Nova Scotia, remember Penhorn Mall, but uh, it's kind of not there anymore and kind of is. But um and I met him and there was only a couple of people at the table. It was one of the last ones. And I put out a hockey card and he goes, Oh, it's a rookie card. I can't sign that. I'm like, I'm not going to ruin your rookie card. He got out another card. And then we talked for a good 10, 15 minutes. And it was uh, very nice, very personal. I had time for everybody. Always yeah. had time for everyone. He was, ex- I, I got the opportunity to talk to him a few times. And the last time I got to talk to him, I was on the HMCS Montreal in Montreal it was during the floods back in uh, 2017-ish. And we got, we got all dressed up in our, in our whites and we went down to the children's hospital because the kids wanted to see military. So we went in and we, we were visiting the kids. And one, one kid was in isolation, but he really wanted to meet a sailor. And I was the only one that was francophone in the group. So they sent me in. And I walk in and I'm introducing myself. Everyone's in the, you know, the scrubs. And I, I thought it was his grandfather. I said, oh, nice to meet you. And he's like, yeah, Guy. I'm like, oh, okay. Took me a few minutes. I'm like, this guy looks familiar. It was Guy Lafleur. He was just there. He goes there all the time. And I got to talk to him for a good half hour after. And we did not talk one bit about hockey. Everything was about his family and my family and that's how he was he he's just a normal guy uh like when we talked at the mall there we talked about my grandfather i said he was a huge yep. fan of yours i was a huge fan of richard i said you know i'm a bit young i don't really when i remember watching d play he played for the rangers in the Northeast. um i'm not saying i didn't watch any of his games but i really wasn't into hockey yeah when i was nine ten years old so it was later on and uh, he came back in 89, I believe, with the Rangers. 88. And yeah. 88. And uh, I remember the game at the Forum, uh, where he first came at the Forum. When he came back, he got the standing ovation when he showed up. 
He scored two goals and the roof came off the form. So if you can imagine the Canadians cheering for the opposing team when they score a goal, it's almost like going to Ottawa and watching a Montreal-Ottawa game. It's, you know, everyone cheers for Montreal. Um, I say that because I'm moving to Ottawa. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so it's just one of those, that's how special he was. He didn't have to play for the Canadians for them to want him to score. Uh, and then I remember watching on television, Catra says on TQS there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I watch more than hockey on TQS, but anyway, uh, <laughs> on a blue and uh, me every now and then we came on after the hockey game. So, you know, <laughs> you had to stay up to watch Saturday night live. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, I'm watching the Quebec games and watching him play. And that's where I got to see that in the twilight of his career, I got to see him play, um, and uh but it was a pleasure to watch him he even with the nordiques he he had the speed he had the iq he had the tenacity he had the the the, the he just captivated you just watching him play captivated you the yeah. his hair flowing in the wind as he's skating up the ice and you know it's just uh he'll be he'll be missed he'll be missed and and like you say he was always at the children's hospital he was always having uh fundraisers to raise money for the hospital uh, even right up until I believe last year, he was still doing things and making appearances. Um, I, you know, when I tweet about this, I feel bad for Chantal Maccabee. We all yeah. talk about uh, losing our, our our hero and stuff like that, but she, he was a friend to her. He was, uh, they were very close. Uh, I'm watching the game. We're going to get into the Bruins game. Uh, but uh, I think the thing that got me the most uh, during the ceremony was uh, Yvonne Cornway. Uh, I, I, uh, I started crying at that uh, point. So, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not a very emotional person, but that, uh, that kind of hit me in the feels. Uh, and then he was saying on TSN, I think five, nine, how he feels alone now because everyone's gone. And, uh, you know, that kind of hits you that, that kind of thing. Like you look at the alumni and he was, he was the one that played with them the most. And uh, yeah, nine of, years, I think. Out of all of them, like he, he yeah. was there. I mean, he, I don't know if he played with Richard. I don't know if he was that far back, but no, uh, no, Richard. Henri for sure. Henri for sure. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, and then uh, I don't, that just got me like, it's almost like you're watching someone lose their best friend. And uh, so, I mean, I wouldn't feel that way about you, but uh, (laughs) I I understand. Yeah. He's what? didn't happen before <laughs> what foreign port did they find him in <laughs> uh, oh that no, I one. Joke. oh i joke oh okay i get it <laughs> that got stabbed in spain again and i told him i told him <laughs> every time uh but no i mean back to lafleur i mean it's just uh he'll be missed I loved how they took away the advertisements and just put uh, Guy Lafleur, yes. his birth date, his name, his signature, his number. Um, that was huge. The all the advertisers agreeing to leave everything out and let them honor Lafleur. Right, and uh, the press conference that Jeff Molson put that was kind of touching too. Chantal McAvee trying to hold herself together. Jeff Molson tried to hold himself together, and. Uh, it's just, it, it's going to be a, a somber few days coming up, especially um, next week when the uh, flying estate's going to be there. Um, there's going to be thousands of people going there. 
I if could, there's I mean, if I one, could, there's a million. Up, but, yeah. And uh, it's going to be similar to what we saw with Bellavo and Richard. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What, can, what more can you say, really? I mean, I know you were a huge fan of LeFleur. Yeah. Um, I got to watch him play live a bunch of times. I get to watch him in alumni games and stuff like yeah. that. Not, not well, actual Montreal games. But My dad was fr- uh, his hockey team. On his hockey team, he had a Labatt and a Molson rep on his team. So he's able to get tickets to all these different hockey games. And Labatt and O'Keefe worked together. So we were able to get to games in Quebec. Uh, Molson worked with the Canadians. So we were able to get a bunch of tickets there at the forum. Mm-hmm. And I remember in 82, early in the year, uh, I was six years old. My dad dragged me into the forum and I got to watch Guy Deflade and they were playing Buffalo. And Deflade never scored. But every time he touched the puck, the whole place, and I was six and I remember it like it was yesterday. The whole place just, everyone stood up a little bit, edge of their seat, and they were watching. And I swear to God, every time he had that puck on his stick, something happened. He had a few assists at that game. I think two or three, at least two. It was a 7-7 tie (laughs) against Buffalo. The 80s. Well, they they got swept by Buffalo in the playoffs that year. I remember that. And then Uh, I saw him score a bunch of goals in 84, his last year. Uh, I went to a game early on that season and I think he had like 29 goals that year. Him, watching him and Matt Snazlin on the power play, just lighting teams up. They were playing the Rangers. They beat them seven, four. And Lafayette ended up scoring the game winning goal that game. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I remember playing uh, just like the alumni games or the NHL yeah. star games yeah. where uh, Maurice Richard was the referee. And of course, he would uh, steal the puck and go in on a breakaway. And get a <laughs> yeah, and score was, for whatever team he liked. I was fortunate enough; my dad took me to one of those games. Fortunate enough to actually meet Maurice Richard uh, in the dressing room because they would let the kids go in the dressing room afterwards. Um, I remember that. I don't remember meeting Guy there. I remember him playing, but I don't remember meeting him there. But I remember. I think I was just so. I mean, I was like nine or ten. Just meeting Richard was a, you know, Maurice Richard. Oh well, yeah. Dave Maurice for sure. Again, still my grandfather watched and was a was one of his heroes. But uh um and then you think back, I mean, we look at our heroes like Matt Snaslin, Patrick Waugh, I grew up Guy Carbono, Chris Chelios. You know, that was my growing up. And then you hit the the nineties and then you get the two thousand nineties wasn't really too many. Well, I guess there's still Patrick Waugh and you know, uh, your Desjardins and your Schneiders and your Patrice Brisbois and Sacco Koivus and, uh, you know, then, but you, you, we haven't had a player like Guy Lafleur. We haven't had a player in Montreal that everyone wants the edges. Subban maybe when he first came in. A little bit. A little, a little bit. bit. Uh, but you didn't have that guy who you knew would take control of the entire game. Uh, and, you know, and that's what my, I think that's what Montreal needs. And I think that's what they're looking for when they try to get a French player like Joanne or someone like that. And that they're, they're, that type of player is just rare nowadays. It's just rare. They were rare back then. They've always been rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. pressure put on the young guys now to try and live up to that, I think, is too much. You cannot live up to mm-hmm. someone like that. Especially a francophone player in Montreal. Anyone. Like, uh, Anyone. We, like we can talk about uh, next season when a certain francophone player is going to be a free agent. Um, uh, yeah. Jonathan Huberdeau. Uh, 
I personally doubt he's going to come to Montreal, but uh, <laughs> you never know. Maybe, maybe he can, because uh, he's pretty exciting to play there in Boring, yeah. Florida. But uh, I still don't think you're going to get a player like you, Flair. Like, no, and the fans, the fans let you know too, because that ovation, that would probably lay in the top two or three of all time in that in that city. It reminded me of the uh, when they opened the new Molson Bell Center, and uh, Maurice Richard came out with the torch. Uh, that was the end, that was when they closed the, the form. when they closed the form. Correct. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that because that was yeah. a similar. Uh, um, the announcer there, what's his name? I keep forgetting his name. Um, the public announcer, the announcer there at the Bell Center. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he kept trying to, and the crowd just wouldn't let him. They're like, nope. Yeah. Now they clocked it at ten ten. I'm not sure if it was really ten minutes and ten seconds long. I, but that's I was the official. They officially clocked it at ten ten. I was I'll going by them. my watch. It was about. 10, it was a little over I'll, ten minutes. I'll believe them. <laughs> I'll believe them just because it was I more than ten. I, oh, I believe that, yeah. but I think it was more than 10, 10 too. I think yeah. it was probably closer to 11 or 12. But anyway, um, it reminded me of that. And you know what? Patrick Waugh said, be loud. Be loud for Guy. And they were. Like, yeah. even when they said a moment of silence, you could still hear them. Gee, gee. You know, they did get silent, but. For the most part. Yeah, but some of the part, fans but... were still listening to what Patrick Waugh said. And they were trying to do just that. And I wouldn't have had an issue with that. I, I mean, no, I, was I don't right. really. He, he was just that special. Like cheer for him, cheer yeah. for what he did. Don't mourn his loss. Cheer for what he brought you. Uh, and uh, and Michel Lacroix after yeah. the game said he was he was happy that they kept cheering over him every time he tried yeah. to interrupt. He would have. Well, he didn't try very hard. No, he, he didn't. He started and then he's like, oh no, I'm gonna let them go. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm gonna. Lie. It's almost like he was trying to tease him into into, into doing it. And, uh, and then when he finally got that moment, so that they can have their moment of silence at the end of it, he he's like, you know what? I'm gonna throw it back at them. And he he announced, Madame et Monsieur Guy Lafleur, and everyone lost yeah. their shit again. Yeah. And uh, it's just uh, it was it, it was it was a it was a very good celebration of his life put on by the Canadians. And I mean hate them or love them the canadians put on a show for everything they do they they do it classy they do it right and they always get it right the first time it's and, simple it's elegant yeah just like the thing with the boards simple yeah. elegant to the yeah. point his number at the center ice yeah. uh and then the video montage of of him on either ice facing both sides so yeah. both sides get to see it and it's just uh yeah, it's just one of those things you'll never forget as a, as a Habs fan. I'll never forget the torch thing with Richard. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget uh, 93 <laughs> when they won the cup. And Patrick yeah. Law says, I goes to Disney's land. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just one of those things. And I, I'm glad I got to see him play. Uh, even though it wasn't really with Montreal. I mean, I did see him play with Montreal. I just don't remember him playing with Montreal. Uh, but, uh, and I, I'm glad I got to see that. Yeah, and w- in watching the ceremony, you get to see the players down there. There's, they zoomed in on them a little bit. And you got to start to wonder, what's going through their minds? Like, you look at the young guys like Caulfield and Suzuki. What are they thinking when they see the 
the pure love coming down from the fans for someone who hasn't played for the team since the early 80s. But it's as if he'd never left. It's like when he came back with the Rangers. Yep. He wasn't even playing. He scored two goals on St. Patrick, and the fans roared. Roared. Montreal ended up winning that game. I think they won 5-2, 5-3 or something. Doesn't matter. But doesn't matter. They they could have lost 6-1. As long as Guy scored, they did not care. Uh, You know people love that man because when he was scoring for the Nordiques in Montreal, they they cheered for him. Yeah. Every time. Yep. And uh, he deserved it. He deserved every bit of it. Um, I guess one thing we take away from this, kids, is don't smoke. Yeah. Uh, Guy was a huge smoker, and I think that's what led to his health problems that he has now, uh, just like Mike Bossy. Um, but let's not, let's not uh, yeah. dwell on that. Let's just and dwell on the... Uh, in watching that ceremony, if anyone... If anyone who watched that still doesn't say that Montreal is the hockey mecca, there's something wrong with you. Like I said, I was talking to a guy who works a huge Bruins fan. He thought that was fantastic. He, he actually wanted Montreal to win that game because, and they tried. Uh, I think we're going to get into the game soon. Yeah, we'll get into the game in a bit. But uh, I want to uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about Suzuki. Okay. Because everyone's talking about him as the next leader. And he's on the ice for the starting lineup, and he's looking up at the fans going nuts. And, and you know, he's yeah, following that... Gallagher at the end of the game where so they can salute the uh, the number 10 up in the rafters, which that was pretty, that was pretty classy. Very classy. Gallagher do that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Suzuki at the end of the game had said that he wants to take a page out of Guy Lefdal's book and to leave a positive impact on people he comes across. Every time fans come up to me, I take the time to speak to them, sign autographs. It's part of being a Canadian, leading by example in the community. All that stuff is top of line for me, and I want to keep doing it for the rest of my career. And I'm sure the other guys want to do that too. And, and that's exactly what Guy did, like you mentioned earlier. He didn't see himself better than anyone. No, and and I mean, I, I'm glad I listened to the uh, the, the the game Saturday night on uh, Series X because I got this. They basically just talked about Guy Lafleur. Yeah, uh, Ottawa did a nice ceremony. Uh, Montreal played terrible against Ottawa, but uh, yeah. um, the now no one cared. There, it was just about Guy. Like no one cared. It didn't seem like anyone cared about the game, like the announcers and that. Like they called the game, but they just wanted to tell their stories about Guy. And I was okay with that. I mean, in this dumpster fire of a season, uh, yeah, you you lose a legend, but in that loss, it brought fans closer together so even in Guy's death he's re, he's igniting a fire into the fans um and they proved it at the game in Boston where they just it was just a packed house and it was just off the roof um I thought it was really fitting that the first game back in Montreal it was, it was Boston, Boston. Yeah. well I said I tweeted that night I said wouldn't it be fitting that uh, Montreal will be down by a goal and they score a goal on a slapper by Caulfield when uh, the Bruins have too many men on the ice penalty. It came close. They had eight or nine guys on the ice and one of them played the puck, but they didn't call it. 
uh, near I, the I end of the game. I thought that would have been poetic justice. Oh and, God, yeah. Then to come back and win it in overtime, but uh, it wasn't meant to be. No, um, but they did score their first two goals on every tenth shot. Yeah, I read that. I read that. Yeah, because Anderson scored on shot number ten. Uh, was it Pitlick? Scored the second goal on the 20th shot. And then Suzuki went and ruined it and scored on the 21st shot. What a trick. (laughs) Suzuki. (laughs) Lasting impression, my arse. (laughs) Uh, But I thought it was fitting. I mean, you have an ovation of 10 minutes. They're scoring every 10th shot. The the signs were there. Like, it's just too much to... It looks like the ghosts are coming back. Yeah, They're, They're making themselves known. Well, why did not pack him in his suitcase and took him to Colorado? So uh, maybe he let them out. Maybe, maybe, let them out. maybe. Or there's some new ones joining the team. Like uh, if if Guy is like not one Guy, of the ghosts now, Jean Beliveau, Guy, Maurice Chau, making the final might have woken them up. Hopefully, they took a break this year, but we'll see what happens. Kind of hope they take a break next year. But... <laughs> <laughs> but to the game itself i mean right. the canadians the canadians showed up and they played their hearts out but they clearly are missing the skill to compete with a team like boston well all right first we'll talk about the nine game losing streak which ties a, t- a club record for the most losses in a row in regulation since 1940 right um Everyone's going on that uh, Martin St. Louis honeymoon phase is over and he's no better than what the guy, like I'm just going by what I read on stupid social media. Um, On Elon Musk's Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That affects me zero. But anyway, uh, (laughs) sure the guy's a douchebag, but I don't care. Um, By the way, Elon Musk, if you want to be on our show. Uh, Yeah, fucking douchebag. (laughs) Listen. The team is a much different team under Martin St. Louis. There hasn't been two games where they're out of the game early, um, even in this losing streak. But you have to consider Sherratt's gone. Lekkonen's gone. Drew Wren's basically gone. He's not coming back. Uh, half their defense is young guys just learning to play the game yeah the teams the team's been decimated by trades they've been they're a young team the big difference between the two coaches it's yeah st louis losing games but he's already got a higher win percentage than ducharme had more importantly it's the culture around the team they're not accepting losses they're not allowing that you know they don't just give up a first goal and then crumble I mean, they were losing by six, seven, eight goals a game when Ducharme was there. Now, if they're down three or four goals, they're not out. They they mount comebacks. They make it. They make it an entertaining game at the very least, and they're battling until the very end. And uh, for instance, against Boston, I mean, they went down two nothing early. Uh, they shouldn't have went down two nothing at all. No, they but, should uh, not. Have. Uh, but they then they went down four one. I believe it was four one. Yep. And then they got the two goals in the third, came back four three. They played an excellent third. They they that the third period was theirs. Um 
Shots were a bit even, but Montreal controlled the play. Uh, Montebo played well. I'm not going to say anything bad about Montebo in this game. I don't think he let... He couldn't have played better than what he played. Yeah, I don't think he let any bad goals in that I'm trying to think of. No, no, I don't think so. I I thought he played well. I mean... But that last one, like, where was he? Where was he on the fifth goal? (laughs) Wasn't even on the ice. Wasn't even there. He was looking for Lindgren's jockstrap up in the crowd. Uh, I never knows I'm not a Montebo fan. I, I, I totally think they should turf that guy at the end of the season, but uh, not his fault, though. Well. It's not his fault, but I don't think he's NHL material. That's just me. Um, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, but I thought he played well. I thought he played well in that game. I think yep. it was smart for them to call up Primo because I think we we said it on our little message there on Twitter. I said, I think they brought Primo in. So if Montebo shit the bed, they don't have to put Price into the game and Montebo's not going to get shelled. Um, but he didn't shit the bed. He played well. Um, that first period, it, if it wasn't for him, that score would have been way out of reach already. Oh, he, he made some big saves in that first period. Uh, we'll get, let's get to the penalty shot. So You mean the penalty shot that should never have freaking happened? I'm going to say this. Not a Huffman fan. But that was probably the best defensive play he ever did in his entire career. And he took a, and they gave him a penalty for it. No, they didn't even give him a penalty. They, uh, uh, they I, I would have took the penalty. I would have said, all right, sure, give him the penalty. But they gave a penalty shot to a guy who didn't even have a clear breakaway to begin with. And uh, only had one hand on his damn stick. And he and just dropped it when Hoffman's stick touched his. Right. Hoffman actually just put his stick over and around to try to get yeah. the puck. Yeah. And then this... I don't even know who it was. Uh, uh, Holla. And he just dropped a stick. And I was like, that's a penalty shot. The referee, the refing, I don't normally, and you know this, I don't normally bitch about refing, but the refing in that game was terrible. It was just uh, terrible. Yeah. We'll get to some but other examples that, there, but that, uh, that one play. Changed the entire call, game. It did. And it was complete and utter fucking yeah. horseshit. That call. That was, if that was done by, uh, I don't know, a Florida Panther coming back and covering a, new, a Nashville Predator, that would have been hailed as a highlight of the night and it wouldn't even been a, a call. But because the referee was in the wrong position to watch the play and it was Hoffman who, let's be honest, is not known for back-checking. That, that was a perfect defensive play. It was a, I was like, did that Hoffman? <laughs> You know. If you're telling me that St. Louis is not a better coach than Ducharme, he just got uh, Hoffman to do a back check. Name to me another actually, coach who's done that. To actually play defense. Yeah. Name another coach that's got him to do that. And I'll be honest, actually, Hoffman has done a couple good defensive moves the last month or so. Yeah. Not many. He's had a but lot he- of brain cramps where he's given pucks away too. But at like least he, he's he, trying things. He's trying to make things happen. Yeah, he'll screw up. But that play there, he did everything right. And he still he got nailed right. for it. And he, and he shouldn't have gotten anything. No. Um, and then, of course, he came down and scored. Uh, Montebo didn't stop it. But uh, it was a good shot. It's 50-50. It was a good shot. It was right out of the glove, right above the pad. Yeah. Um, and it changed the entire complexity of the game. So then you go into the second period and... Montreal was okay in the second period. I, did, I thought and they... Petrie goes up, uh, you know, does the unforgivable oh. play of body Clean checking hit. their captain. 
and then Marsha has a fit about it, and you're thinking to yourself, this is nothing you wouldn't have done, Marsha. It was no, no, no. It's something he wouldn't have done because it was a clean hit. True, true. And they'd go for a little wrestling match on the on the uh, on the ice. They both. That was the end of the first period, was it not? Or was that was the end of the first. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, well, that was with Frederick. Frederick came after him at the end of the first. Correct, and Frederick got the penalty at the end of the first. Yeah. I think they went to the power play to start the first, and then and they scored. Uh, and they scored. That's right. Um, yeah. So it's. I mean, and then uh, we can move forward to the third period where they make it a one goal game. And then uh, Marshawn decides he wants to spear uh, Anderson in the nuts. Yeah, see that play there that they were battling along the boards and then Marshawn got a high stick up on Anderson. It looked accidental to me. Like it looked like an accidental high stick. You know, shit like that'll happen. Anderson took it on the chin, reacted. Iron went straight up. The referee was right there. He saw the play happen. At least they called this high stick. They didn't call the one that smashed uh, Gallagher in the face a couple of minutes before. What? Um, you don't call yeah. penalties on Shocking, Gallagher. I know. Um, it's too short. Yeah. But then Anderson kind of just skates towards the front of the net because the play was continuing. And then Marshawn follows him, spears him in the nuts, trying to get him to take a penalty. All Anderson does is just push him away and backs off. He doesn't engage. He does And somehow... Some way, they both get a fucking penalty. What the fuck was I that? Read the rules, and apparently, if you stare at an opponent too hard and too long, especially if he's smaller than you, that's a, that's a penalty. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's, it was put in uh, in the second period. Yeah, <laughs> to the rules in the second. In period. that very moment. In that very moment, and that, that's what he got the penalty. For. The anti-licking rules. You can't stare at a, a, a player smaller than you for too long. Like it's like being it's like when two players are fighting for the puck and one player is bigger and knocks the other player down. It's an interference call. Unless your name's Gallagher. Unless your name's Gallagher. Then it's just a clean play. That's right. Uh, so yeah, so there was a lot of. Uh, I mean, the referee was terrible. I mean, the referee. Honestly, the that was one of the worst anyway. officiated games I've seen in the year. Like, it's not the now, worst, but it's up there. Now, the Ottawa game had two very new referees in it, and it was a much better called game than, uh, than yeah. this Boston game. Yeah. Who had two veteran referees. Yeah. And uh, according to Gary Bettman, or as Joe Biden likes to say, Batman, uh, they have the best officiating in all sports in the world. Now, someone brought this up to me on Twitter last night during the game, and it's something that I've gotten into many times over the last couple of years. They're allowing betting on games right now. Who in their right fucking mind that spends money on, on gambling, especially sports gambling, looks at a game like that and thinks, this is a league that I know I won't get screwed out of my money. But you will. Because the referees control the game. And you don't know from one game to the next which referee has a grudge with which guy or which team or whatever the hell's going on. Maybe his wife left him that night and he's just being pissy. You just don't know. There's no consistency. I'm not saying that the, the officials are horrible. They need to be consistent with what they do. And they're not. I, I look at it two ways. I always said, I don't mind if a referee puts his whistle away. 
And I don't mind if a referee calls everything, as long as it's for both teams. And if you're going to call one play on one team, you have to call it on the other. So if you're letting hooking go, then you don't call a hooking penalty all game. Unless it's a blatant, unless it takes away a scoring opportunity. However, if you call call a hooking penalty that takes away a scoring opportunity, well, then you better make sure you get a hooking, you know, you better make sure that if there's a hooking penalty on the other team that takes away a scoring opportunity, you call that play. We're not seeing that. And that's, that's a, that's a problem, especially for a league that's looking to make, uh, to recoup some of the losses from the pandemic through gambling. And I mean, again, I'm not against referees not calling anything as long as you don't call anything both ways. Consistency. Yeah. And it's no different. Like for instance, if you have rule, here's, here's the way I look at it. If you have rules and you call everything as you see it, the players will adapt because everyone said, Oh, then there'll be just a parade to the penalties and the games will be locked and players will adapt. They'll learn that. I can't do that. They're going to call that, but now they don't know what they can or can't do. They don't know what's going to be let go or what's not going to be let go. And it's not just right? between different, re- uh, different referees. It's one game to the next with the same referee. You just don't know yeah. what that same person is going to do from night to night. To me, there's one referee that's consistent. That's Wes McCauley. Wes McCauley, I think, is one of the most consistent referees in yep. the game. Uh, he's entertaining, <laughs> but uh, he's not just entertaining. He's got a consistent, good referee. He and he's vocal. Like he sees it, and he he'll talk to the players. He'll talk to the coaches. He'll, you know, this is why I called this, or hey, I fucked up on that call. My bad, right? Uh, and I think if the players and the coaches were allowed to be a little bit more vocal about the refereeing or the officiating in the game and the referees can be a little bit more held a little bit more accountable for what they do because there's no accountability for a referee right now the worst thing they're going to get is they're not going to get a playoff series or they're not going to go deep in the playoffs that's the worst that's going to happen to them and i see that comment made about officials after every game regardless of what teams are playing but they say everybody says that about every referee without any of them there's no playoffs so some of these guys are going to get playoff games and you're going to see some really screwed up shit but I, gar- I almost guarantee you're going to see Wes McCauley in that final. I hope, because he's one of the better referees. Yeah. But who else goes with him? That's just the thing. Um, yeah. There's a lot that can be done to fix that, but we'll, we won't get into that here tonight. Um, we'll go back to the game. And I want to talk about Petrie again. Petrie actually had... A good game. He had a good game in Ottawa too. Like he, he's been he did. playing well the last couple of games. Yeah, uh, um, he, uh, he's engaging. He's uh, he's driving the offense from the blue line. Um, he's not shooting into the shin pads as much as he used to. Um, and he's just overall better both ends of the ice. Even on defense, he's covering his man better. He, he's playing better. I think Ebbinson has a lot to do with it. I think they make a good pair. Um, Edison yeah. gives him the freedom to do more, be more offensive and jump up in the play. Um, but I also think, again, I'm going back to Martin St. Louis. I think Martin St. Louis, the time season's almost over too. And I believe we've seen the last of Petrie in a Montreal uniform. Uh, yeah. I don't expect I, to see him next year. I say that with pretty much 98% confidence. He's not coming back. Um, yeah. 
And that's, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. He wants out for family reasons. I don't think he wants out because he doesn't want to be a Canadian anymore. I think it's just easier for him to play in the States than it is in Canada with COVID. And I mean, I can't really blame him. He wants to be around his wife and his three kids with one on the way. You can't blame someone for wanting to be near their family. And the, his family made a decision that living where they were just wasn't working for them anymore. And you can't blame them for that either. Although there are some people that do blame them and I'm less like, well, you know what? That's, they don't want to live that way. They don't want to live that way. That's their choice. I mean, you couldn't pay me money to live in Toronto. I absolutely hate that city. I, I'll go there if I have to, but I do not like Toronto. And I, I would rather live anywhere else. Djibouti. I would live in Djibouti before I live Djibouti. in Toronto. You really hate Toronto. Uh, go up in big- Djibouti. I'm not a big city guy. I lived in Calgary for a year and I'm not, a, I'm a, I'm a East coast. You know, I like my cities to be 900,000 people or less <laughs> or less. Um, now I'm moving to Ottawa, which is a big city. Uh, but I, from what I hear, it doesn't feel like a big city. So I'm kind no, of it's a bunch that. of small towns all kind of cobbled together. Um, so I'm like you, like if you're not happy somewhere, don't stay. Don't, no, don't, and don't stay because you think you have to. And, and for those who be shitting on someone because they made a decision for their family to make their family and themselves their lives better. Exactly. So I don't have any hard feelings on the guy for wanting to move on. Uh, the Canadians are going to make a deal that suits their needs and his. I mean, it won't be. It won't be you know a bunch of four, first round uh, first round picks and top prospects and all that kind of garbage, but you don't know what thinks... it's going to be. The, well, the, I know, the, but... The, but I mean, I don't think it's going to be, I agree. I don't think it's going to be a first round pick. And He's not going to score these massive returns. It's just going to be a standard hockey trade, something simple that kind of fills a need, save some money, that kind of thing. I think it's going to be a contract for a contract. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be a player that fills a need somewhere. Correct. And I don't think you're going to get a bum of a player either. I don't I think no. you're going to get uh, second or fourth pairing defense, second or third pairing defenseman. Or, or a second or third a, line player. Yeah, that's what you're going to get. And for those who are worried about the the uh, the trade value for Petrie because he had such a bad start to the year, well, since St. Louis came in, he has played much better. As a matter of fact, he's gotten 18 points in his 19 points in his last 24 games. That's almost a point per game. He's, he's playing back to almost back to the level he can. Like there's, there's another, there's another step there, but GMs are going to look at that and say, okay, family stuff. The rest of the team sucked injuries, COVID It's one bad year. No big deal. His value is not going down. No, and uh, that's what I was going to say. They're going to look at what he's done. Four, you don't get four or five, five straight 40-point seasons, and then all of a sudden forget how to play hockey. Yeah, and well, he did, refer- but yeah. <laughs> I think he had so much on his mind and so much going through what he was doing that hockey just wasn't. I mean, we play sports. Yeah. If it's not in your heart anymore, the effort isn't there. And he wasn't getting along with the coach. And, you know, no. like, it, no, no fault of either Petrie or Ducharme, but the two yeah. just didn't. They didn't jive and and that'll happen sometimes. So, and I don't think a lot of players on that team jived with uh, 
Ducharme. Um, I think he had a hard time uh, communicating what he wanted. I, I don't think Ducharme's a bad coach. Let's, no. let's, let's get this one. I think you're going to see him back in the NHL either as an assistant or maybe a head coach somewhere. And I think um, he'll do well. And I think he'll succeed. Um, I mean, he can't do much worse. Uh, but I don't think he had the team. The team wasn't built for his coaching style, just like it wasn't built for Julian's coaching style and it wasn't built for Terry's coaching style. And that's on Bergevin. Like, uh, uh, as much as people think I'm a Berge, was it? Uh, a Bergy boy or? A Bergy boy. What have I been called? Bergy boy. Bicep club. boy. Bicep club. Well, come on now. Uh, I don't see them. <laughs> They're too big. Um, I'm, too, I'm too tall. I have to look way too way down. Um, but uh, <laughs> a version, a version. What was it? Uh, Subinistic and a and a versionista. Versionista. Um, and you would know this. I call a spade a spade when it came to version. If I thought he did something wrong, I I, I said it. I, I didn't mind version as a GM. I didn't think he was terrible. Uh, but I thought the fact that he didn't he didn't have the right coach for the team that he was trying to build. And it just showed because you had the same coach over and over and over again and yeah. the same results. And let's be honest, if it wasn't for COVID, we didn't make the playoffs the last three years. But they did. But they did. And he pl- it looked like he, it looked as if he was planning for that because he was bringing guys in that did well in the playoffs. He had that especially that, that especially saying his. Year. Yeah, yeah. Especially you get guys year. that get you there and you get guys that get, get you to the playoffs and you get guys that get you through the playoffs. And he built the playoff team. We said that all last year. If they make the playoffs, they're going to go a round or two. We didn't think yeah. they were going to go to the cup, but they're going to go a round or two. And they did. They, they went right to the cup. And went up against maybe the best, best team in the cap era. Because they had more players that fit in their cap than every other team. Yeah. After. They made the playoffs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think it was a hundred. The cap, but the cap didn't count anymore. A hundred million dollars, and I think Vasilevsky's uh, pads grew three sizes per game. Okay, well, now we're exaggerating, but uh... no, he was the Grinch that stole the cup. So his, his pads grew three uh, sizes that game. I think Montreal just ran into a wall. The injured players, the injuries yeah. caught up to them. Yeah, you just played three grueling series. Uh, you know, I kind of wish they would have done it for Weber. Oh, I have to bring something up here. I, I, I'm just on my phone. So I, I wrote my piece about Guy Lafleur, and someone uh, mentioned Shea Weber and why he never commented. So I'm going to address this right now. Shea Weber is no longer the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, first and foremost. He's not technically part of the team anymore. He is what I like to call semi-retired. Uh, he's being with his family and doing his health issues. So don't sit there and say, why didn't our captain speak? Because we don't really have a captain right now, which is why they said they're going to have a new captain next season. We're not going to have one this year. We're going to have four alternates. Um, so why everyone keeps saying, oh, where's Weber? Where Weber's home. Weber has done hockey. Hockey is over for Weber. It's done. And if you ever played a sport, and you ever got to the point where you can't play anymore, it's hard to be around the rink, and it's hard to watch other people play the sport you love and want to play. So let's get over this whole where Shea Weber thing. He's home. 
retire, sort of retired. Uh, he's not the captain of the team anymore. Let's move on. Plain and simple. It, it's just more of the same. People looking for reasons to be upset. Yeah. That's all it is. Anyone with any common sense would say, here's a guy who hasn't been around the team all freaking year. He's not coming back. They're, they're like they're at the trade deadline. They openly admitted they were looking to trade his contract. They didn't say looking to trade Shea Weber, his contract. That says he is gone and he's not coming back. He's not. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if his contract's trade in the off season. Um, yeah. There's a team so, that's only playing in a 5,000 seat arena that needs that kind of cap assistance. Technically it's 3,500 seats, but anyway, they're going to move it up. To, they're going to, they're going to add 1500 more seats apparently. Well, I mean, it's 3,500 seats unless you're married, then it's 5,000 seats. We got to get Patrick Brown on the show. Cause I would really like to talk about how the Arizona players <laughs> feel about this university where, where they have to walk from another building to the rink so that they can have a proper dressing room. They have to build a dressing room off site and then shuttle them in from, and then shuttle them in from the dressing room. Like (laughs) this is, this is not a joke. This is exactly what's going to happen because they don't have a dressing room in that building fit for NHL player. Actually it would be fit for an NHL player in Guy Lafleur's time because it'd probably be the same type of dressing room. But because they didn't have these fancy dressing rooms with the, no. you know, they probably had a bucket with ice in it that you put your feet in and they were happy. You shared it with the beer and it's for both. Yeah. And you shared it with the guy next to you. So, uh, you know, um, I don't, anyway, that's a whole different story. I just don't get it. Like, that sounds like the, a perfect episode after the season's done. Yeah. But Patrick yeah, Brown if, of the hockey writers, if you're listening, he's our Arizona correspondent. The hockey, if you're listening. Oh, and his this, his choice for the Masterson today was Andrew Ladd, and that's who that's who was picked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's part of the PHWA now. Isn't yes, he, he is. So is uh, Kristen uh, Stiletto, the New Stiletto. Jersey girl. Yes. You go uh, look I her up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she's so just so you guys know, the hockey writers who we write for uh, has been getting the names, and they're they're getting people that are actually voting on these trophies. That Carey Price is obviously going to win. Joining the uh, ho- the Professional Hockey Writers Association. Association. Yeah, maybe Blaine, maybe Blaine and I will leave there soon. Yeah, we'd have to we have to live in an NHL city before that happens. Yeah. Sorry, Kristen, I, I I forget your. I think it's Kristen. Yep. Yeah, Kristen, I for, I forget your last name, but anyway. I just know your Twitter. Handle. Well, it's it's Christy. <laughs> Christy my God, yeah. my God, man. What? What? You know, you know me in names. Um, Christy Flannery. She was on yes. the show. Uh, where was I? You were probably gone somewhere. I don't know, working out at a bar. I, I have no idea. <laughs> it's funny you mention that. Anyway, no, this is what I'm going to get into. But uh, there's a gym in Moncton right next to a bar, and these when we were pulling up to it these guys were went on the door because you got to get buzzed in oh and then they, the door would open so then they walked to the bar and it was kind of funny i'm gonna work out fuck it's closed i'm just gonna go drink i'm gonna get drunk <laughs> it was one and or I the thought, other I, for some reason i thought of you blake 
<laughs> that's something Blaine would do. <laughs> I have worked out drunk before. I've I've ran a half marathon in Thunder Bay while drunk. That's impressive. I didn't know was it was supposed to be was it supposed to be a full marathon and you just you could only get halfway through or I thought it was going to be a 5k so we just started running. They pulled me out of my rack. I just crawled into my rack from uh, got back from the bar, got into my bed on the ship. And, hey, we're gonna go. Uh, gonna go run. I'm like, oh, okay, five k fun run. Sure. Yeah, sure, okay. I'll drink a little bit of water. I'll be fine. I look at the thing. I'm like, seven kilometers. What the hell's going on? You're in a half marathon. Shit. I don't have that good of a story, but I did go to South Africa. We we're supposed to go on a safari, and Scott Langley and I, Scott Langley, who was Scott. my boss. Scott. It was my boss at the time. Scott says, hey, let me into the juniors. We can drink. It's no point going to bed now. We got to get up in two hours. All right. <laughs> You're the boss. Oh, uh, that, was ter- that was a terrible safari. And South Africa is fucking cold. I don't care what anyone says. Well, I mean, in winter, yeah. It's in a temperate and it, zone. And it was winter there. Oh, it was cold. Scott Langley was my rabbi coming up through the forces. Every every rank level, he was right ahead of me, and every time I worked with him, I got promoted. So blame him; it's his fault. I don't want to know. Why. I don't want to know how. But anyway, I'll leave that between you and Scott. <laughs> if you could run a, mar- a half marathon drunk, he would get you promoted. He got me my advanced calyx, so I can't argue. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're um, off subject here. We're off subject. So let's uh, let's just wrap this up. Uh, you have any final thoughts that are pertinent to actual hockey? Enjoy the last two games of the season. It's almost over. We're guaranteed a top three pick. Um, four, top four pick. Top four right sec- now. If we finish second, we can finish. The lowest we'll finish is four. And you're going to get a good pick. It doesn't matter who it is. You're going to get a good pick. He's not. There's no generational talent in this uh, draft. Uh, Wright's probably the best guy to get, but that doesn't mean. But anyone who we pick second, third, or fourth is going to help this team and uh, be a star. It's just the way it is. Probably a first line player. We're not talking elite player or generational he'll, talent. He'll be, a, he'll be similar to Suzuki and Caulfield. Like Suzuki and Caulfield are not going to be elite players, but they're going to get you 70, 80 points and maybe 30, 40 goals. And next guy we get in, hopefully it's going to probably going to be around there too. Eventually, eventually, eventually. not right away. So, And uh, for me, uh, just letting everybody know, we're going to be – slowing down the frequency of the shows i mean you've noticed that in the last couple of weeks we've been unable to get our usual two per weeks done uh, between uh, matt going away to kuwait for a deployment you moving to ottawa uh, i'm going to be um, i'm going to be getting surgery to fix my back and my and my and my ankle so yay okay weber well too bad you weren't as good as him I'm too, bad nothing, as, too bad he weren't as good as his broken knee. <laughs> if I was if I was as good as his broken knee, I would not be in the Navy right now. I'd have been playing semi-pro hockey somewhere. But um, yeah, so the frequency is going to slow down a bit. 
we'll try and get a few episodes in, especially through the playoffs. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about our bandwagon picks and the, the draft picks coming up. Just to remind everyone as well, um, we will be in Montreal, at least Treg and I, and we're going to be at the draft and we're going to be hosting a party post-draft at McLean's Pub and everyone is welcome to join us. And just so anyone else knows, I will be in Montreal in two weeks, uh, for three weeks. So if anyone wants to get together at McLean's Pub, yes, I'm talking to you, McLean's Pub, you might get pretty busy. Or any other podcast groups, talking to you, uh, Obaltage, was it? Uh, Obaltage? Obaltage. Obaltage. I don't speak very good French, but hey, I'll be on your show if you want me. Matsu speaks um, perfect English. Well, Pat's not bad. He, Pat's pretty good. That's pretty good. But I mean, I know they have a French podcast. That's why yes, I'm, uh, yes. I, I'm saying. You uh, can invite them Fran- to the Vieux Mess. Je parle français un peu. So. Invite them over to the Vieux Mess in uh, saint jean du Chalieu. Yeah, we could do that. I could do that. Uh, yeah. It's going to be my mess. Um, oh, and I have one more thing to say. Lift off apparel. It's going to be one of our new sponsors. Uh, they make, uh, make workout clothes. Uh, Yoga pants for women, shorts for men, pant, workout pants, shirts, uh, muscle shirts, uh, you name it, they make it. Uh, sports bras uh, for you, uh, Blaine. Um, anyway, uh, if you want a uh, 15% off, it's unfiltered, just unfiltered. Uh, go to the website, uh, liftoff.ca. Uh, I believe it's going to be on our website, uh, the link to their website, plus what you uh, can get off. And uh, every once in a while, we'll have a free giveaway for a shirt or something. So just so everyone knows, liftoff.ca, they ship anywhere in the world. Um, It's run by an old uh, Navy guy out of his apartment right now. Uh, But it's actually quite, it's actually gotten quite big. Um, So uh, yeah. He's huge in Japan. Huge. He's bigger than me in Japan. And I'm not very big anyway. No, no. All right. So I want to thank everybody for listening and supporting us this season. It's been a, it's been a fun year. Um, We'll have another episode before the end of the season, but again, thank you very much for listening. And remember if you were talking about it, so are we. Be sure to go to habsunfiltered.net to check out all the great giveaways, all the great sponsors, all the promo codes for each sponsor to save you money on amazing products. Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. 
Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.